Sulfates are actually going to remove them the best. I had been over exfoliated. Start practicing smart skin science. It shakes me to my core. I just want unicorns and rainbows. It can remove a protective lipid layer from the surface of the skin. Welcome to our Vanity Lab, a podcast about the beauty of science and marketing by a makeup-loving cosmetic chemist and a skincare-obsessed marketing expert. Each week, we deliver industry news like debunking myths, confirming facts, and let you in on the tea you didn't even know you wanted to know. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Emmy, and you're listening to Vanity Lab. Hello and welcome to our Vanity Lab. Today we are talking about acne, what the deal is with sulfate-free formulas, and some tea time about your nail time. All right, so we talk about being an educated consumer a lot on this podcast. And, you know, sometimes like titles on, you know, articles can be pretty misleading and not always really reflect what the article is about. For instance, um, Laura and I were just discussing this article that was recently posted on Cosmopolitan. Best acne face wash isn't an acne face wash. Trust, keep reading. And I totally agree with that. But then the byline is your zip fighting cleanser might actually be making things way worse. It totally can if you are looking at your total, like what your type of acne you have. Like, is it grade one or two? Is it grade three or four? And depending on, you know, which stage and grade you have, how you're treating it can definitely disrupt the skin barrier. And so I agree with what she's saying for the most part. And we'll link the article in the show notes so that you can read it for yourself. But I do think how she's calling out like the cleansers are really kind of misleading and um, a little like contradict like actual title and the feeling of the article. What are your thoughts on this, Laura? Yeah, so just kind of like scrolling through the article, like just kind of like skimming through it, you notice that she recommends cleanser products throughout the article as you're reading. And the first one you find is the four best drugstore acne cleansers. And then she lists them and then you scroll, you read a little and then all of a sudden it says four non-boring cleansers for acne prone skin. And you scroll a little more and it says try one of these four cleansers for your acne. And it seems like she's recommending products throughout, but she doesn't really mention the individual products in her article. So it's just kind of like a plug. And what I thought was also really funny about the ones that's the four non-boring cleansers for acne prone skin is a bunch of higher end products that are 20, 15 to 20 bucks above pricing, while the drugstore one, apparently boring, are ones that are like less than $12. And so I feel like she's kind of indicating that drugstore products are boring, which I don't feel like they are. Sometimes they're actually more effective than high-end products, but she called them non-boring, which I thought was a little silly. Agreed. So like CeraVe and Cetaphil have like a special place in my heart. I do agree with like one point that she was really making within like the actual article itself. She was talking with, I believe, a dermatologist and they really pointed out that anything that disrupts your skin cell barrier or kind of compromises your skin barrier, that can definitely make your your acne or your just complexion and tone overall way worse. So fun fact in high school, <laughs> I thought I just need to exfoliate more because I was like dry, red and patchy. But what had happened, uh, because this is, you know, the age of the St. Ives face scrub before people knew or before that like consumers weren't as educated and like just thought, you know, putting that on your face was a good idea. So I just completely disrupted my skin barrier and it was like awful. And I had been over exfoliated. And when you're over exfoliating, it makes you like dry, dried out, red, flaky skin, which then you just want to like keep flaking off, right? That's not the case. 
So I definitely think that she's onto something a little bit too when she is at the end recommending like just very gentle cleansers that work for like all grades of acne. She puts like under each of the products is like for sensitive skin, for normal skin, for oily skin, and for dry skin. I personally have dry skin and I actually use the product that she recommends as dry skin, which is the First Aid Beauty Face Cleanser. And I actually really love it. I also find it interesting that it's all the way at the end. Like why wouldn't you put that information at the top? Just some like random things that she, when you go through the article and you see she kind of randomly bolds things that I believe she felt that was of importance. And one of the things that kind of like brought to my attention was the what she put as the big bad three, which was sodium lauryl sulfate, ammonium lauryl sulfate, and sodium lauryl sulfate. I know there's like this big like huge thing about like sulfate free products right now in the industry. And just kind of like bolding that as like sulfates are bad and sulfates are this without completely understanding the science behind it kind of irks my soul a little bit and we'll get more into that a little bit later in this podcast but I just feel like if you're going to put an ingredient as bad like the big bad three can you please go through and be like this is bad because of xyz reasons and if you have this type of skin type you don't need these this ingredient is bad for your skin or like it's okay if you have this type of skin but like don't just put it as the big bag three as like big and bold and then like start writing about other content. No, and I I totally agree with that. Sulfates in general, and I think we should really delve into that more because it's been a debate between you and I for years, like since we've like met. (laughs) It is, you know, such a worry in consumer minds um, if they're harmful to the skin or not. And Laura, since like this is such like a hot button topic for you, I think, um, you know, we should probably take this time and explain the the difference between sulfates, surfactants, and detergents. Right. So first of all, in the article, she mentions that there's detergents in your skincare products, which is semi-true, but the FDA in cosmetic, in, t- in terms of cosmetics, cleansing products are not detergents. They are cleansers and washes. Detergents are your laundry soaps. They're your dish soap and things of that nature that you use in your household, not things that you apply onto your skin. Your skin are cleansers and washes for the most part. So if you see someone calling a cosmetic ingredient a detergent, it's not necessarily completely correct. Yes, they may have the same ingredient list, like same ingredient name, but they are of different grade. So cosmetic ingredients are different grade of those of household hold items that you're scrubbing your dishes with versus what you're putting on your face. A surfactant in general is defined as a chemical ingredient that orients itself to have like surface interfacial tension, which kind of combines. So you have your oil phase and your water phase. So you know, oil and water, they don't combine, they don't love each other, but using surfactants, they learn to love each other and they come together. And so we have different categories of surfactants that we put in cosmetics for the most part, and they're normally categorized by their charge. So we have our anionic surfactants and they are great for cleaning cleansing and foaming. They give you your bubbles. They give you that nice clean feeling. So it's perfect for body washes and shampoos. And some anionic surfactants are known as sulfates, phosphate esters, glutamates, isothiazinates, taurates, and carboxylate. Then we have our cationic surfactants, which are ideal for conditioning. So these are perfect for all your conditioning needs, like your hair conditioners and moisturizers. You can find these cationic surfactants on your green list by looking for quats. And if you don't know what quats are, there's you can also see them as like cetrimonium chloride and stearalkyl chloride. In addition to quats, we also have alkalines and amine oxide. And what is amazing about cationic surfactants is that there are certain ones that can actually act as antimicrobial agents. So a common one you'll find on your green list is benzoalkonium chloride. And if you want to learn more about how important antimicrobial agents are, head over to episode one where we speak a lot more about preservatives. But moving on, we have our third type of surfactant, which, which is our amphoteric surfactant, which is often used as a secondary surfactant to help boost foam, improve conditioning, and actually reduce irritation. So you also find these types of surfactants using combination with 
anionic and or cationic surfactants. And some derivatives to look out for on your ingredient list are going to be like betaine, ampho, acetates, and propionate. And lastly, we have our non-ionic surfactants, which are our emulsifiers, conditioning, and solubilizing agents. And there are a variety of versions of these non-ionic surfactants, but some common ones you'll find on your ingredient list are going to be sorbitane esters, polyesters, fatty alcohols, and peloxamers. And with all these types of surfactants in the world, I mean, do you want to provide a little bit of insight on why consumers kind of have some fear when it comes to surfactants and sulfates a little bit? Let's talk about some of the most common. So when a product says it's sulfate-free, it's usually talking about SLS, so sodium lauryl sulfate, and then sodium lauryl sulfate, um, and then SLES. And one of the like hot button topics with that is that it can remove a protective lipid layer from the surface of the skin because it's really good at removing product buildup and you know just cleaning. It, it does its job very well. And so sometimes that can lead to maybe like a little bit of drier skin. And in terms of hair, one of the reasons that I personally use sulfate-free shampoos is just because it's color-treated and processed and I don't want it stripping out the color that we're putting in, if that makes sense. So, you know, in terms of that, but like I'm not afraid of sulfates. I'm just, you know, trying to be gentle with my hair because I put a lot of money into it. (laughs) Yeah, You, you, you do spend a lot of money on your hair, but it looks wonderful and it's beautiful and I love it. It looks gorgeous. Oh, thank you. If you have really oily, like hair and it's not color treated, using a shampoo with SLS and sulfates might actually be your best option. Right. Like if you are someone that puts a lot of hairspray in their hair and you use a lot of like products in your hair, sulfates are actually going to remove them the best. But when the safe, the main safety concern I feel when it comes to sulfates in skincare products right now is because that it's kind of known as a skin irritant. And I use that in quotes. And the little bit of like information on like why people feel this way or why this is happening is that the stratum corneum or the top layer of the epidermis of the skin is there to prevent microorganisms and chemicals from entering the skin unless it's damaged or diseased. The truth is the function of the stratum corneum can be affected by surfactants since it removes dirt, germs, and helps prevent the spread of infectious diseases and infection. And we love that it does those things. It keeps us clean, safe, and healthy. And as we all know, sulfates by the consumer is universally known as kind of harsh and can remove the protective lipid layer of the skin, which can allow the increase of water loss from the skin, which can in turn provide that skin irritation. This is often found when people cleanse too often or don't moisturize enough afterwards or both. And yes, anionic surfactants, aka sulfates, are generally more harmful. But I use the word harmful very lightly because it's not going to like completely destroy your skin or anything like that. This is what's going to effectively clean your body of germs and help prevent the spread of infection. And in the end, if you take care of your skin by not over cleansing and ensuring that you moisturize your skin afterwards, this will allow you to effectively remove germs from your body and not receive the harsh effects of what anionic or aka sulfates can cause. I feel that we just need to start practicing smart skin science and not cave into the fear on social media that are not fully educated on why ingredients are chosen for a formulation. But also make sure you know yourself, your skin and your hair and all that stuff because if sulfate-free is better for your hair, then go sulfate-free. If sulfate-free is better for your skin, go sulfate-free. But don't use sulfate-free as a buying mechanism as it being safer because that's not, not necessarily the case. Mic drop. Uh, no, I... Couldn't have put it better. I completely agree. You know, like once again, you know, I use sulfate-free shampoo and conditioner because that's what's best for my hair. I mean, I use dry shampoo like every once in a while, but I don't have like a lot of product buildup. If anything, like I'm just putting hydrating products in my hair all the time. 
because it's very dry dehydrated. But one thing that I have noticed, and I think, Laura, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, is that I try really hard to use sulfate-free toothpastes because I've noticed that whenever I use a toothpaste that does have SLS in it, it can trigger my perioral dermatitis, which is actually pretty common in, um, you know, women over, I think, like the early 20s. So do you want to talk about how the SLS in toothpaste can differ from the SLS in kind of more, you know, hair care or facial products? Sulfates in toothpaste is often used to solubilize flavoring flavoring oils to stabilize the product and to provide that like foaming cleansing kind of effect and it it isn't completely different but some in a lot of skincare products your sulfates are going to be in liquid form and then in your toothpaste it's going to be in solid form so so in solid form it can also act as an abrasive and not using abrasive in a negative way because your teeth are extremely strong and you need something to kind of rub off like a physical exfoliant I guess you could say to help with your teeth cleaning, but it's also used as a paste. And paste in general, when it comes to a dosage form, has solid ingredients in it. And that's what makes it a paste versus a cream. And so having those solid ingredients in there will make it act as abrasive, but it's also the more concentrated version than the liquid because the liquid is diluted with whatever other ingredient that it it comes with. So solid is going to be a little bit more concentrated, but it's also diluted with all the other ingredients in the toothpaste. But if you are one of those people that are sensitive to sulfates in your toothpaste, try using different other anionic surfactants that I mentioned that has the same mechanism of action, but it's not exactly a sulfate. So we have our sulfol, sulfonate, sarcosuxanate, phosphate ester, sulfacetate, monoglycerides. These will provide a similar cleansing action that of sulfate. So if you feel like you have a sulfate sensitivity or allergy, try looking for some of those on your green list instead. That way you can kind of find a nice replacement. That way they work as effectively because they work as effectively as anionic surfactants because they are anionic surfactants. Okay. So if you're like me and you're really sensitive to SLS in your toothpaste. One that I've been really loving for the last six or seven months now is actually a Japanese brand called Boca and it's their Element toothpaste and it doesn't have any SLS in it and it actually has a chemical in it. Let me see if I can actually pronounce this correctly. It's nanohydroxyapatite, so N like dash H A, and it actually helps remineralize your teeth. Um, so if you have sensitive teeth as well, it's really great for that and it just basically it tastes great. Doesn't trigger my periodontal dermatitis. It helps remineralize teeth and my teeth are whiter and cleaner than they were when I was using like other brands. So just low-key love that. Wanted to plug it in case you're looking for a new toothpaste. And no, that's not like an ad or anything for them. I've repurchased this um, toothpaste like for months now. (laughs) So thanks, Boca. My only concern when it comes to these natural sulfate-free toothpastes is that they don't contain fluoride. So I know one thing um, is a lot of the SLS free toothpaste don't include fluoride. So I do recommend if you are looking into, you know, going SLS free in your toothpaste that you look for ones that um, help remineralize your teeth and are really, you know, pro tooth health as well. Fluoride basically protects the demineralization, whereas um, certain chemicals and ingredients that help remineralize teeth that have already been demineralized. So what I actually do, so I have my Boca toothpaste that helps remineralize. And then I also do a fluoride rinse after the fact. So what you really want to do, and I know this is deviated a little bit, but if you do like alcohol-based mouthwash, you actually want to do the alcohol-based mouthwash first, then brush your teeth and then do a fluoride rinse because you don't want to brush off the fluoride rinse you just washed your mouth out with. 
Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's a fabulous way to incorporate fluoride into your oral routine without actually putting it on your in your toothpaste, which I also feel very strange that the industry hasn't come out with a sulfate-free toothpaste that still has fluoride in it. Agreed. Side note too, if you do have, you know, triggers um, of like periolar dermatitis or any kind of like skin irritation from your toothpaste, but you don't want to like switch up your toothpaste, something that can help is always washing your face after you brush your teeth. That's a good one. For sure. So I don't think there is a transition in the world that would actually work well (laughs) going from surfactants to, you know, our tea time about your nail time today. But I am just floored by the blatant racism and xenophobic um, statements made by what we're talking about right now. And like, I am so angry. Like we, I just don't even, I can't, Laura. Like it's so. If you guys don't know what we're referring to, there is a video out by Larry Gaynor, I believe that's his name, from TNG Worldwide. He's the CEO and TNG is a nail care company. And he basically came out with a video stating that you shouldn't be supporting Vietnamese nail salons and businesses supporting Vietnamese nail salons because they're not American, I believe is what he said. Like they weren't like American made companies and that since we are in America, we should be supporting American-made companies. I believe that's what he was insinuating. He kind of just went on a rant about like how Vietnamese people are kind of talking crap about you behind your back at the nail salon and all this kind of stuff. As a Vietnamese American, I'm kind of livid because my family members work here, work in America in nail salons all the time. And it is the most, honestly, the reason why a lot of Vietnamese Americans kind of do this or whenever they immigrate from Vietnam to America is because getting your nail tech certificate is one not too expensive and it's very quick process and so it's a way for you to create income quickly in a new country where you don't really need like a full-on bachelor's degree or you have to go to college for it. The Vietnamese community kind of created the nail salon business to kind of bring in, they saw a need and they met it and if you're mad that they can't speak perfect English, I'm so sorry but they are learning as they go. They're learning in the environment that they're in. Like they, these people came from Vietnam. English is not their first language. I don't understand why you're going to be mad about someone who's learning a second language. Like that is impressive that you learned a second language, you moved to a different country and you learned a second language that shouldn't be bashed on, that shouldn't be hated on. It should be praised and loved. The fact that he was so blatantly xenophobic and racist in it really irks me. You know, immigrants get the harsh end of the stick so often for, you know, not assimilating fast enough, not having perfect English. And the people who are usually complaining about this have never lived in another country. Like they don't know what it's like. They probably don't even aren't fluent in any other language. I think it is such a like strong sense of character that shows that when you move to a different country and like you're trying your best to make a living and contribute these nail salons like it it doesn't matter if they're you know Vietnamese they're still pro-American like they're not mutually exclusive these families that are coming and immigrating over and like opening up the nail salons they're still paying taxes they're paying rent they're you know putting like they they still eat so they're still contributing like greatly to the economy so for you to spend been having like a Vietnamese nail salon as being anti-American while shitting on their culture is 
asinine to me. Honestly, it's pretty normal. I feel like not like in a positive way, of course, but like it's pretty normal for people to kind of give a negative spin on the Asian community just because we're known as being quote unquote timid and shy and we don't speak up for ourselves. But let me fucking tell you, I'm an Asian American. I'm a Vietnamese American and I'm going to speak up because I'm so tired of fucking people saying shit like this. They're looking down upon us as if we're less than you, but really we are just as human as you were equal to you and I am blessed to be born in this country but my parents were not and they 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 sacrificed a lot for me to be here. I get so irritated when people like say shit like that when they say like oh like they're not pro-American. They came to America to be Americans. Like I don't understand. They make fun of like how they talk or how like their their accents and I was like to me in my head it's not really an accent. It's them learning English. Once you meet a Vietnamese person that knows English their accent really subsides. I'm a Vietnamese person. Vietnamese was one of my first languages and my accent has pretty much eliminated I feel and because I went through the English school system my parents and these adults they're unable to go through the English school system and so they can't fix their accent as quickly they don't go through English courses they don't go to college they don't they're not taking these kind of classes that can help them kind of hone their English skills they're just surrounded by other Vietnamese Americans who speak the same English as them so it's just really frustrating to be honest yeah and so not only is that entire vantage point and I, I believe it was screen recorded from, you know, like a webinar or product training or like town hall type of thing. But the fact that people hold these views just floors me and it shakes me to my core. Anyway, so thank you for like showcasing that you are a piece of shit, regardless of your motive for saying those things. The fact that you can say them really shows your lack of integrity. You, one thing I can tell him he's right about is people will go to, you know, certain salons for certain products. I now know to not ever go to a salon with Emma Beauty. I'm going to keep looking for or like the OPI, the SE, the Orly, all of the brands he called out that are supportive of Vietnamese nail salons. Like, you got my business. TNG Worldwide, people. Ugh. He did technically apologize, but no one thinks that it's like from the heart. They're like, our legal PR made you do this. There was no like... I wanted to do this. This wasn't like from his heart. But it's nice to see, you know, like Orly and OPI and SE, you know, making statements that are really acknowledging their, you know, salon base and what has really grown their business over the last 15 to 20 years. And I really like that solidarity. Yes. Praise that. Love and support. That's all I ask for. Love and support. We don't need any hate. We don't need racism. We don't need this. We just want positive positivity and light. I feel like I'm that person on Mean Girls. It's like, I just want unicorns and rainbows. That's me. That's I'm the, I am the she doesn't even go here. <laughs> but talking about that CEO. Yeah. Like he doesn't even go here. Doesn't even go here. I was like, I just want unicorns and rainbows and cupcakes. But we can move on to a more positive note for our high key and low key products. Yes. Um. So, Laura, what's your your high key low keys this week? So I'm gonna start off with a low key product that I feel like not a lot of people know exist, I feel, but it's a fragrance from Dolce & Cabana. It's their three La Imperatrice. Don't know how to pronounce that. We will link it in the show notes because I definitely butchered that. But it's a very light and airy fragrance that I absolutely love. Like I discovered it a couple years ago and it's just like a nice, like vibrant, magnetic, like charismatic scent, but yet it's really light and airy. So you don't have that really heavy scent if you're not into like someone's, I'm like one of those people where like, 
I want people to be able to smell my perfume if they're standing next to me, but I don't want you to smell it if I'm if you're walking by me. And this is a perfect perfume for that. Oh, I like that. I actually I've never smelled it, but yeah, I feel like that sounds like the perfect like daytime and you know when we're back in the office office type fragrance that's like not overpowering but still accentuates you yeah like someone comes and stands like over like next to you and you're like they're like oh you smell nice you're like thank you it's my perfume it's beautiful and i love it all right so my low-key product this week is from a brand i'm not sure actually had to pronounce it is anise anise but it's a-n-e-s-e and it's the perfecting skin serum and it's called slay and it's this really creamy hydrating serum um, that lightly exfoliates but it has a bunch of great ingredients that are, you know, kind of pro skin health. So it has like a bunch of really hydrating and kind of pro skin health ingredients. It's like got um, aloe leaf juice, glycerin, so super hydrating, meadow foam seed oil, vitamin E, sunflower seed oil, white truffle extract, um, blue-green algae extract, a little bit of white willow bark extract, but it's a little bit farther down in the ingredient list, so it's not completely like overpowering. It's not the biggest um, ingredient in the formula. And it also has like rosemary leaf extract and sunflower seed oil. So... I think I said sunflower seed oil twice, but these are all really hydrating ingredients that help support the skin cell barrier. Big props to that. So my high key product for this week is going to have to be the beloved Anastasia Beverly Hills Brow Wiz in dark brown because I have black hair, so I use dark brown. I love this product. I've used it almost since it's been out in the industry. And what I really love about it is that it's super slim and it's a retractable pencil. I hate sharpening my pencils because I'm lazy as fuck, but I like that it's ultra slim so I can make the hair like strokes, which is amazing. And then it's also, it has vitamin E, which obviously we love for free radicals. It has like a handful of plant oil, so it keeps the skin hydrated and soft. And it also makes the pencil itself really, really smooth when you apply it. So it has like a lot of multifunctions and I really enjoy this product a lot. So if you're in the market for a new brow pencil and you just want something that's quick and easy and it's a slim pencil, try this one out. It's one of my favorites. So my high key kind of relates to our tea time, but I've been doing my own gel like manicure at home for you know ages now the one brand and product that like I actually really love the most is actually OPI they have a great pro health the base and top coats for their gel line and it's incredible and I've noticed that since I've switched to that it's not necessarily as damaging to my nails as some of the other brands I've tried which has been really great so big big props to OPI so let us know what your thoughts on the sulfate debacle is and our tea time that we spilled today I know we threw a lot of stuff at you guys and we really want to know you know where you you feel on the whole SLS and sulfates issue in products and then also how you feel about the tea time today is that something you want us to cover let us know head to our website leave a comment like follow subscribe on Spotify or Apple and let us know what you're thinking we want to hear from you to gain access to our show notes and links that we mentioned earlier, be sure to head over to our website at www.vanitylabpodcast.com to be sure that you're staying up to date on when we're uploading and what we're uploading. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Vanity Lab Podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, follow, whatever, which have you on whatever streaming platform that you are on. That way we continue to make content for you. And as always, the opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinions of our employers. Vanity Lab Podcast is hosted by me and Emmy Lovell. All of our sound production editing is by me. Transcripts are written by Emmy Lovell and all of our music comes from Audio Jungle.